Now, if you would, please take out your Bibles and turn in them in the New Testament to the book of James and chapter number 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one under a chair in front of you. You could grab that Bible and turn in the back portion of it to page 178, and you would find yourself at James chapter 1. Now, our world, the world in which we live, is a world of change. And all kinds of things are changing around us. Technology is one of them. Technology is constantly changing. I remember when I first came to Wildwood, we were so proud that we actually had an IBM Selectric electric typewriter. Boy, were we cutting edge. And then I remember in 1987 when we got our, our very first, we got one of those primitive green screen computers. And we used it one time a week. Amazing. And of course now if you were to walk into our office, you would find in every office and at every workstation there is a computer to be found. And most of the staff spend a majority of their time functioning or studying on the computer. Those of you who have had computers know that there has been a blur of change that has gone on. There's been a lot of upgrading that you had to do. Maybe at one point you had a 286 computer, and then you got a 386 computer, and then you got a, a 486, and then you got a Pentium, then you got a Pentium 2, and maybe a Pentium 3, and I don't know where it is, maybe Pentium 44 today, I am not sure. But there's this constant change that goes on. We have to have a faster computer, we have to have a computer with more RAM, we have to have a computer with more memory. Not too long ago, I saw a cartoon. It came out of a computer magazine. It's an interesting cartoon. It showed a group of people sitting in a circle. And you realize by a little sign that's there, it's a support group. It's a support group of computer owners. And this one guy is speaking, and he says this. Hi, my name is Bob, and I can't stop upgrading. Change in the world of computers. We see change all around us. And now we have cell phones that are computers, which launches us into another whole area of change, and that is cell phones. I can remember when I did not want to have a cell phone. I resisted, resisted, resisted. And now if I leave my cell phone behind, I feel semi-naked. It's just change that happens. And we now have some elementary school kids who are running around with cell phones. And we have the texting mania that's going on. Do you know what one of the biggest problems in prisons is right now? Cell phones. People smuggle in cell phones. And they now have to do sweeps through the cells looking for cell phones and for chargers. Because you have prisoners who are supposed to be sequestered who are getting on a cell phone. And they can call anybody they want. We've been through all kinds of change in technology. We've gone from the VHS tape to the laser disc to the DVD, and now we're at the Blu-ray. We've gone from records to cassettes to a CD, now to MP3 and iPods. And some of you who are younger will know the tremendous technology change you've gone through because you started out with a little bit of email, then you went to instant messaging, and now you're doing the full-scale online networking, like at MySpace and Facebook. I was thinking this week about how um, things have changed. I mean, I, I used to, when I was working on my messages and I needed a particular fact or a piece of information, you know what I had to do? I had to leave my office, get in my car, and drive across town to the library to look something up. 
Now I just Google. And do you know that prior to 1998, that wasn't even a word in the English language? In fact, it took till 2006 for the Webster's Dictionary and the Oxford Dictionary to add the word Google to it. All kinds of change. Technology change and people change. When I came to Wildwood, I had been married for six years, and I had one 18-month-old. And then by 1982, I had three little ones. We later on added the caboose of Jennifer. And I just want you to see what we looked like in 1982 with those three little ones. <laughs> Things have changed. Rebecca, who is in the middle of that picture, has not only grown up and gotten married, she has two sons of her own. And you can see what happened to me. and It's not very pretty at all. I'm in my 29th year here. While I've been here, some of you have been born, and you are now married, and you have several children of your own. That's some real change. Uh, while I've been here, some of you have lost spouses. Some of you have lost parents. Some of you have lost children. Uh, some of you, uh, like my wife and I are, are going through the process of putting parents into assisted living, which is why my, my wife is in Nebraska right now, helping her parents with that change in their life. And sometimes there's just so much change, there's just so much fluctuation, it just, it makes us uncomfortable. You know, um, we grew up part of our time in New Jersey, and I can still, I have very emotional, vivid memories of being Oceanside in New Jersey. You know, where you're standing on the beach, and you're just looking out, and you, you see the tide coming in and out, and you see driftwood that's maybe moving by. Uh, you see the gulls flying past. You, you see the, the shell pieces that are tumbling in and out of the surf. And as you look at all of that, I can remember looking at that one time thinking, this is an atmosphere of fluctuation. Nothing's ever staying the same. And then I looked over to my right, and there was this rock jetty that was going out. And you look at that rock jetty, and you go, now there is some stability in the midst of flux. Do you ever feel like life is just so fluctuating all around you that you wish there was some stable point? Do you ever feel like life is full of fluctuation, the changes are swirling around you, you can have this sensation that everything's always shifting, that nothing is stable, but I want you to know, men and women, there is a rock, and that rock is Yahweh God the God who wants to have and does have a personal relationship with us. I want to talk about what I have entitled today, the one you can count on. The one that you can count on. And the focus we're going to look at today is on the immutability of God. And some of us, when we hear that theological term, immutability, we're not quite sure what that refers to. But the word immutable means this. It means unchangeable. Immutable means that someone or something never varies. And so when we want to talk about today, when we talk about the one that we can count on and the immutability of God, we're talking about how God is unchangeable and how God never varies. And so if, if you are distressed by some of the changes in life and they come in all different flavors, then this is a message for you. 
Now, if change is not a problem for you now, wait a little while and that'll change in your life. I guarantee it. But what I want to deliver to you today is basically some encouragement as we look at the fact that God is immutable and He is the one that we can count on. Now, here's the plan of attack as we just try to take a look at this idea of Him being the one we can count on. I want to look at the testimony of God's immutability. We see it in the Bible. And then I want to look at the contrast of God's immutability as we hold up His immutability and we see how it's different from a lot of what we experience in life. And then I want to unpack some of the key facets of God's immutability, the fact that He is unchangeable and that He never varies. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the testimony of God's immutability. We're going to make some contrasts with God's immutability in everyday life, and then we're going to unpack some of the key facets of His immutability. But the purpose of this is to be encouraged. So let's begin by looking at the testimony of God's immutability, and one of the verses that testifies to that is found in James chapter 1 and verse 17. So if you have your Bible open there, you might want to look at that, and I want to read that verse. James writes in in verse 17, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from God Himself, who is described here as the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Now, when God is called here the Father of lights, it's an allusion to the sun and the moon. And if you take a glance at the sun, or a glance even like at a full moon, they appear to be at a glance stable and constant. But if you notice that they don't stay that way, The sun moves, the moon moves. It's not always in the same place every night or the same size. There is shifting that goes on. And the light that they project causes a shadow. And as they move, those shadows move. And so part of what he's saying here is this, that when you look at God as the Father of lights, with Him there's no shifting. There's no moving He is immutable. He is unchangeable. He never varies. In Malachi 3.6, the Lord declares this. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. He says, I'm not a cosmic chameleon out there. I do not change. I am unchangeable. I never vary. I am the constant that you're looking for. Men and women, that's encouraging. You see, God cannot change. God cannot change for the better. He is already perfect. God cannot change for the worse. He is perfect and unchangeable. He never varies. That means there's never going to be any improved version of God. God's not evolving in some way, and we're going to wait around. Let's wait around for another year for the improved version to come out. He's not like that. There's not a deterioration with God. He's never devolving down. He is unchanging. He never varies. He is the fixed reference point in the sea of life. We need that. If you'll turn your page 
of your Bible, maybe one page to the left, you'll come to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8, and we have another word of testimony about the immutability of God. Yahweh God, who is Jesus Christ. It says this in verse 8 of chapter 13, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He is immutable. He is unchangeable. He never varies. He is constant. And we need that in real life. And he is that in real life. Now, having just looked at that testimony of his immutability, that he is unchangeable and he never varies, I want to take a moment now just to contrast his immutability with what we see in everyday life. In fact, his immutability is very contrastive with life itself. Life itself involves change all over the place. You know, the most significant recent event in American history, of course, was 9-11. And since 9-11, we've seen a lot of change in our life. I remember when we first went to Latvia in 1990, when it was still under the, the Soviet Union banner and the Soviet army was very aggressively occupying it there and, and it, was a, it was an emotionally difficult thing to go. It was a little scary to go. But I remember when we came home and, and you're getting off the airport and you're going up that ramp and, and you know you came out to the gate and there at the gate was all of my family and a number of friends from Wildwood to greet me just as I was getting off the plane. Just can't do that anymore. Doesn't work that way anymore. They don't let people gather at the gate that aren't ticketed. It's just changed. Things have changed. You know, I didn't used to have to empty my pockets out when I was going on a flight. I didn't have to take certain things out of my bag. I didn't have to take my shoes off to get them x-rayed. Never heard of such a thing. But life changes. You know, before those days, we, we would never even have the thought of being alarmed if we came across some white powder, we would have never thought about, oh my goodness, white powder. We never thought that way. And yet now you, you know, we're in an environment where you have to be concerned when there's some white powder. And many of you know in the news of what happened here recently when uh, someone wrote some threatening letters and they sent them to Chase Banks, uh, multiple locations in Oklahoma, and also in other parts uh, of the country, and inside those envelopes were some, was some white powder, and inside there was a threatening note saying, having opened this letter, you will be dead in a week. And this happened right in our town. In fact, it happened right at the Chase Bank this past Monday, four blocks from my house. So four blocks from my house, you have, I don't know if you knew all this happened, but the police are fully gathered, and all the emergency vehicles are gathered. The hazmat team is there, the hazardous materials team is there, and the National Guard is called out four blocks from my house to deal with white powder in an envelope, which turned out really to be no dangerous substance at all. But it just didn't used to be that way. I, I want to tell you a story about what happened a couple of years ago. Maybe you've heard about this, maybe you haven't. But um, on one Sunday night, uh, our youth group was playing a game called Kamikaze. And part of the game was that they would take white flour and put it inside pantyhose, and it's sort of a tag game, and you would come along and, you know, you'd swat somebody with that and mark them with the white powder and the, and the flour. Well, that happened on a, on a Sunday night. 
Monday, it was my day off, I wasn't here, but Monday when some of our staff comes in, in the parking lot area where they park, there's just sort of piles of white powder everywhere. It's white powder. And they came in and they went, I don't know, what should we do about this? And, and so someone said, well, maybe we ought to just check with the police. Wow. They checked with the police and guess what happened? Hazmat, the Hazardous Material team is out here. And they're all in their suits and everything, and they're walking around and everything. How are we going to handle the white powder that's everywhere here? And then what was really interesting about it all is uh, Michelle, who's now Michelle Harwell, who'd been one of the shepherds who was involved in kamikaze on Sunday night. She drives up, and she goes, what's going on here? And they say, there's white powder out there. <laughs> and Michelle goes over, you know, and she just scoops up some of the white powder and just licks it with her tongue. The hazmat guys say, I think you better take the uniforms off, you know, and get back in their car and they disappear. Just white, that's just a change. It just didn't used to be that way at all. Life has involved with it a lot of change. There's, there's eras in life. And that's just, you're all going to go through the eras. There's nothing you can do about it. You start out going through the era of childhood. And then you're introduced to that weird era of the teenage years. And you're running around, even though now you're sort of a full-grown adult, but you're a single adult. And then maybe, perhaps, God leads you to a person, and you get married. And then you get married, and, and if you're blessed, God will allow you to have children. And so you go through the era of being married and having children. And, and then also part of involved in that is the era of having to come up with a career and being involved in a vocational thing. I know my son's getting ready to graduate from, from school, from college, and he's already thinking, well, what am I going to do? And you go through that era. And then if you, if you live long enough, you, you get to the era that they like to call, it's just such a nice term, the golden years. And they tell me I'm like right on the verge of the golden years. I'm not sure I, I really want the golden years. And then if you live long enough, if you've been married, perhaps you end up being single again, and you go through that era. My mother's been going through that era since 1993. Every one of these eras are challenging, and they can be disconcerting, and we all have memories. We could tell stories of what happened to us in these various eras, and we think we finally get this era figured out, and then we're in the next one. But life is like that. Life is always changing. But God is unchangeable, and God never varies. You can see God's immutability contrasted with life in general, and you just see it contrasted with people. Have you, have you noticed how in life, even our relationships with people will change? I mean, friends ebb and flow. Think about your high school friends, if, you, if you've been through high school, particularly if it's been a while since you've been in high school. Man, you're in high school, and you think, these are my friends. We're going to do everything together. Our heart beats together. We're always going to hang out. And you soon find out that it doesn't work that way. You lose track of them. You let 15 or 20 years go by, you don't have any idea where your high school friends are anymore. See, life is full of change. People change, and not always for the better. Someone who maybe was a close friend is your friend no longer. Maybe, you know, you moved away from there. You lost contact with them. Sometimes people will change their opinions and change their attitudes, and it can be at the slightest little cause, and sometimes they'll change their attitude and opinion about you. And that can be discouraging, and all that change can be disturbing, and it can be disappointing in our life. But people, men and women, 
I mean, just admit it. I mean, just look in the mirror sometimes. We are strange and we are fickle. And we change. Even Jesus experienced that with people. He experienced a very massive change within one week. You see, one week, the beginning of a week, he, he's, he's there and, and the people are saying to him, Hosanna, son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And at the end of the week, they're saying to him, crucify him, crucify him. His blood be on us and on our children. See, God's immutability contrasts with life itself. It contrasts with people who change, and it even contrasts with the economy. Oh, ho, ho, there you go. How about a change-o? How about that little roller coaster ride? How about the ripple effects that we've been seeing with the economy? The first time really ever we've seen incredible worldwide ripple effects in the economy. And especially if you're more towards retirement age, you're watching any retirement funds that you have just sort of nosedive right into the ground. That's not an uncomfortable change to experience. It's dismaying. And, you know, you think about all of these things that go on in life and all of these things go on with people and even everything that goes on with the economy. And, you know, you think what we need is some stability here. We need something. We need a rock. We need help. You know, as our waves of change are just crashing all around us, we, we, we long for a rock in the midst of all of that, especially when we feel very small as all that change is happening. And our bedrock in life is God himself and his immutability. The fact that he is unchangeable and he never varies. He is our bedrock. I looked up the definition of bedrock. Here's what it said. Bedrock is the solid rock underlying all soil, sand, clay, and other material on earth's surface. And God himself is our bedrock. He is the solid rock underlying all that we experience on the lo- in the life of this planet. Now, I want us to have a little better grip on that, though. We've seen some of the contrast, but let's unpack some facets of God's immutability so we can get a real good grip on it. I want to look at several. Number one. The first facet is that his character does not change. We saw that in James 1.17. With him there is no variation. There is no shifting that goes on. Hebrews 13.8, we saw that. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His character does not change. It does not change. I want to read to you. Uh, from Psalm 102, verses 25 to 27. Just listen as I read these words. I'll read them out of the NIV. It says, In the beginnings, talking to God, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you, God, remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like clothing you will change them, and they will be discarded, but you, God, remain the same, and your years will never end. See, time takes a toll on us. All you have to do is look at a picture from 1982, and you see that it's taken a toll. But time has no influence on God. 
None. His character does not change with time. A.W. Pink put it this way, There is no wrinkle upon the brow of eternity. Therefore, his power can never diminish, nor his glory ever fade. His character does not change. Now, that's not true with people. I mean, as people, our tastes can change, our outlook can alter. Some of the th- sometimes, sometimes what you deal with as you grow older is, is battling being cynical about things. I've got everything figured out, and it's just the same replay of everything I've ever seen before. But see, God's not like that. God is never moody. God is always in a receptive mood. He has no office hours. He doesn't say, you know what, I'm going to pull the blinds, and I hope nobody comes by. He's not like that. God's affections for you and for me never wane. His character does not change. God is just. He will never be unfair. How many times has that thought come to our minds? Well, I don't really think that's fair what God's allowing to happen. God will never be unfair. God is good. He will never do evil to you or to me. Another A.W., A.W. Tozer, put it this way. All that God is, He has always been, and all that He has been and is, He will ever be. You see, His character does not change. Not just the first facet of His immutability. The second one I want us to look at is that His eternal plans do not change. His eternal plans do not change. Now, that's very, very different from what goes on in our culture. You look at treaties and agreements. How about political promises? Boy, we're getting a lot of those thrown at us right now. Hey, listen, treaties are, are made and they're broken. Agreements are made and they're broken. Political promises, I'm not sometimes sure why they're made, but they're all often broken. But you see, God's not like that. We made a commitment and a plan when we got married. We would say, well, I'm making a covenant that I will be married to this person until death do us part. But sometimes it doesn't work that way. Sometimes a couple ends up being discouraged and derailed from their covenant promise. Sometimes you just decide I'm going to give up. Or maybe the other person abandoned the covenant. The plan was married forever. Life isn't always like that, but his eternal plans do not change. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah in the, in the middle of the Old Testament, a little to the right of the book of Psalms, and Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah 46. I want to read a couple of verses from Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10. His eternal plans do not change. Isaiah 46, 9, remember the former things long past. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying, listen to this, now here we go, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. His eternal plans do not change. 
Turn over a few chapters to the left to chapter 14 of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 14. And notice what the Lord has to say in verse 24 of chapter 14. The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, man, this is an amazing statement, just as I have intended, so it has happened. And just as I have planned, so it will stand. You think about the political upheaval that might be coming in our culture. You think about the economy collapse and the ebbing and the flow and the comeback. And who knows what's going to happen. Well, his eternal plans do not change. Just as he intended, so it will happen. And just as he has planned, so it will stand. In fact, in Psalm 33, verses 10 and 11, it says this, The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He has frustrated the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord, though, stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. What he does in time, he planned from eternity. Now, sometimes people go, wait a minute, doesn't it say in the Bible that God changed his mind or God relented? And we've talked a little bit about that in the book of Jonah from chapter 3 and verse 10. And if you go back and you look at those contexts, you'll find out that in those contexts, the issue at hand was always conditional in some way, sometimes conditional upon repentance on the part of those who were listening, sometimes conditioned upon um, intercession on the part of somebody else. But and we, we, you can look up Jeremiah 18, verses 7 11. It's one of uh, verses 7 to 11. Uh, that's one of the passages that deals with the fact that sometimes God makes a conditional things, but when it comes time to his eternal plans, they don't change. When God says, This is the plan that I have, it will happen. His character does not change, his eternal plans do not change. The third facet I want us to look at is that his promises do not change. Boy, is that different from what happens in life, right? The promises of people. Every single one of us has been disappointed by the promise of someone else who promised to do something, maybe with good intentions, maybe just half-hearted, but they promised and they didn't do it. In fact, every one of us is guilty of that, of making a promise to do something and we didn't do it. But it's not way, that way with God. His promises do not change. In Numbers 23, 19, it says this, God is not a man that he should lie. Does he speak and not act? No. Does he promise and not fulfill? No. His promises do not change. If he promised it, you and I can count on it. In Philippians 1, 6, it says that, he who began a good work in you will complete it. You can count on that. It's a promise from God. In Hebrews 13, 5, his promise is, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. That is a promise from him. You can count on it. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he says, my promise is, I will never allow you to be tempted or to be tested beyond what you are able to endure. Think about what you're going through now. And some of you think, I don't know if I can endure this. The promise is, he won't allow you to get in over your head. 
in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, he says, my promise is, no matter what you may be experiencing in life, my grace is sufficient for you. All the resources you need are available to you. That is a promise from the hand of God. And his promises do not change. John 14, he said as he left the disciples, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you that where I am, you can come and be also. That is a promise from God. And you can count on it. In Psalm 119, you see this phrase, Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. When we talk about the immutability of God, that he is unchangeable and never varies, his character never changes, his eternal plans never change, his promises do not change. And then lastly, I want us just to see that his faithfulness to us does not change. Now that's especially helpful to be reminded of if we are facing right now in our life difficulty, if we are facing discouragement, if we are facing confusion, if we are facing fear in our life, that His faithfulness to us will not change at all. See, God's immutability is the foundation of His faithfulness. If you still have your finger in Isaiah, turn to Isaiah chapter 54. Isaiah 54 and verse 10. Isaiah 54 and verse 10. It says, For the mountains may be removed, and the hills may shake. All kinds of turmoil may come down. But my loving kindness will not be removed from you. And my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Maybe you're right in the middle right now of, of illness or some health issue or someone you love has that and you're involved in some trauma over that. Maybe there's a loss of job. Maybe there's a relational conflict that's just sort of tearing you up on the inside. Maybe there's been a failure that you've had. Maybe there's economic difficulty that you are experiencing. And it's important to remember, no matter what the situation may be, that His faithfulness to us does not change. In fact, if you'll turn and you're right a little bit in your Bible, jump over the book of Jeremiah to the book of Lamentations, chapter number 3. A couple of verses there that are so comforting to hear. Lamentations 3, 22. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. For His compassions never fail. They're new every morning. They're fresh every day. Fresh supply every day. And then verse 23 end, ends with these very encouraging words. Great is your faithfulness, God. His faithfulness to us does not change. Now, what does all that really mean? It means that our God is a God who can be counted on. It means that our God is a God who is totally reliable. It means that He is the only steady, constant thing that exists in our world. It means that when the changes in life are swirling around us and swirling past us, that He is our rock, that He is our bedrock, that He is the solid rock. When our friends fail us, He is the one that we can count on. 
when people disappoint you, and they will, He is the one that we can count on. When life is in turmoil, it means that He is the one that we can count on. He won't let you down. He can be trusted. And so I want to ask an important question this morning. And that question is this. Do you know Him? I don't mean knowing about God in general. I mean, do you know the personal God of the universe? Do you have a relationship with Him? If not, now is a good time to turn to the person of Jesus Christ. See, life will eventually overwhelm you if it hasn't already. And what you need is that bedrock. What you need is that solid rock. We all need that. And we need to be reminded that eternity is only ever a heartbeat away. And that is the ultimate change. And He can be there to be your rock for all eternity. He is the bedrock of life. And, and, and you can do that. You can do it right where you sit. You can do it at your house. You can do it wherever you are. Just to turn to Christ and realize all the failures I've had, all the things I've done wrong, all the mess-ups I've had that Christ put on his back and when he went on the cross. And he died to not only save you for all eternity, but to save you in this life. To introduce you to the one that you can count on. you don't know him come to know him by simply coming to him by simple childlike faith now if you do know him if you do have a personal relationship with him here's what i would say cling to the rock cling to the rock you can count on him he will help you in times of difficulty he will help you when you are facing testing and temptation he is the one that you can count on Many of you know that one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible is Revelation chapter 19 because it has the return of Christ when heaven is opened up and it talks about how Christ is there and he is the one sitting on the horse. It has a lot more to say, but here's part of what it says. There's this one sitting on the horse who is Christ and here is what he is called. He is called faithful and true. He is the one that you can count on. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for just the truth of your word and for this reality of the immutability of of who you are, (laughs) that we can count on you, that you're unchangeable and that you never vary. And Father, I would pray everyone who hears my voice might know what it is to know the one who is the bedrock of life. They haven't yet trusted in you that they would turn to you and trust in you by faith. And Father, for those of us who know you, we realize a lot of times we lose sight of the fact that you are the stable point of everything, that you are our bedrock. We would pray that today we might rest in a fresh way in the arms of the one who is called faithful and true. We thank you, and we thank you in his name. Amen.